Hello and welcome to episode number 34 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dandy Francesco and I'm the Deputy Editor of Cellside Technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, U.S. Editor Anthony Malikian. Good to be back. So... Today we have another great guest for you. This week we have another great guest for you, Andy Ross, Curve Global CEO. Uh, Andy and I had a great conversation about the upcoming launch date, which is September 26th. We talked just about you know tech side. We get into his background, just a really overall interesting talk with somebody that's heading up a new venture by the LSEG. Before we get to that, though, we have an upcoming event in Chicago in a couple weeks towards the end of the month. Anthony, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I'll be out there at uh, the Chicago Trading Technology Summit. It's going to be on my birthday, September 20th. So if you're in Chicago, come on out just to say happy birthday to me. But it's going to be at the Mid-America Club on the top floor there. Um, I'll be moderating a C-level panel with execs from Investment Bank, uh, Berkery Noise, uh, Asset Manager, TiVo Capital, uh, Prop Trading Shop, DV Trading, and, of course, uh, the machine learning uh, uh, fund, uh, Rebellion Research. Uh, so it should be – I know that we had a pre-call. That's going to be some good stuff. And on top of that, we have three great keynotes. We have uh, Anthony Johnson from J.P. Morgan. He's going to be giving the morning keynote. Um, Chicago legend Blair Hull who's the founder of uh, Ketchum Trading and Hull Investments. He's going to be giving the keynote right after lunch. And then our late afternoon keynote will uh, be regulatory focus. Uh, Patel, uh, Patel Walker, uh, chief counsel for the CFTC. Um, and then we're going to close it out with a champagne roundtable. There will be some other panels uh, discussing all sorts of different things from blockchain, machine learning, analytics, data management, everything that you can expect from uh, a Waters Technology Conference. So if you're in Chicago and you're an end user, it's free to attend. Um, if you still want to sponsor something, uh, there are slots, I think, still open. Um, so if you have any questions about that, you can just shoot me an email, anthony.malakian at incisivemedia.com, and I can direct you to the proper person. If nothing else, just come for the bubbly. Everybody the bubbly. loves bubbly. I mean, yeah. And, and then, and then at, yeah, and there might be drinks afterwards. I actually don't know that, but there's definitely Let's not champagne. Any promises yeah. that we can't. Well, there you go. Come anyway, and if they don't have drinks, Anthony will buy drinks for I'll you. I'll be drinking afterwards, you know, so yeah. <laughs> All right, so Anthony and I are going to talk a couple non-fintech topics on the back end of the podcast, but uh, first, let's get straight to my conversation with Andy Ross, Curve Global CEO. All right, and I'm joined now with Andy Ross, CEO of Curve Global. Uh, Andy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so... First, let's let's talk a little bit about your uh, your background, Andy. Uh, you know, I know you were named the CEO of Curve Global uh, in February and took over duties starting in in May um, of this year. But talk to us a little bit about what your uh, your background is before you got to Curve Global. So I started in financial services in 1997, and my very first job was going around and taking paper bond tickets um, that. Uh, salesperson that people had written at the time and typing them into a mainframe system. So it wasn't even a, a PC at the time. So while I haven't worked on the floor, I have worked in financial services for, for nearly 20 years and seen quite a lot of, um, of development from paper tickets to, uh, to the automation of, uh, of trading we see in electronic markets today. And, and my personal career was uh, Morgan Stanley, really man and boy, and until I took this opportunity at, at Curve. And uh, in that time, I did some time in operations, which gave me a real good understanding of how to process businesses and how to how much operational risk you can have in them. But then um, I, I ran margin and then risk, and I was a 
kind of guy who was doing my Jerry Maguire skits of uh, show me the money to hedge funds um, <laughs> while they were in trouble. And uh, and then I ended up looking at the CVA business in Europe for Morgan Stanley. Uh, so after I'd done that, I, I found that job quite stressful. I was doing that while Lehman's uh, uh, was uh, uh, defaulting in 2008. And then following that, there was the Pittsburgh agreement in uh, 2009 to, to centrally clear products. And the firm looked around at the time, Morgan Stanley, and said, um, who do we know who knows something about processing risk and uh, derivatives and and they said right I, my name was on a pretty short uh, list so w- with a group of colleagues we started that uh, business and then ultimately i ended up running the the clearing business for morgan stanley in uh, in europe so that was my uh, a potted history of my background and uh, and then curve came knocking and here we are yeah so let's let's talk a little bit about that when did the conversation initially begin with Curve, and from we'll start from your perspective. What was so attractive about the initiative? What was so uh, appealing about it? And I, you know, what, I didn't even give a proper introduction. So Curve is obviously it's the interest rate derivatives venture from the London Stock Exchange Group. So what was it initially that really you thought, okay, this is something I really want to get involved in? So, so I'll just make it, if I make one slight correction. The, what this is is this is a bank-led consortium. So actually, Curve is a derivative platform, and what it's going to do is list products on a new exchange, and it's going to list those products, um, these are fixed income products, and it's going to list them sorry, on an existing exchange, the London Stock Exchange derivative market, and it's going to clear them at LCH, where all of the world's OTC derivatives clear, or the vast majority. And so what other exchange starts, or what other product start with $100 billion worth of initial margin and fungible risk, or trillions of open interest in fungible product? And so what we have in, in Curve is, is uh, LSE is actually a, a minority shareholder of this and providing some of the, uh, the important market infrastructure to enable us to do it. But what appealed to me specifically about this is the opportunity. We have a uh, um, huge requirement from banks to solve problems. And, and historically, pre-2008, pre the, um, the, 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 the financial crisis, then the constraint was actually borrowed money. It was how much money could you borrow and could you borrow it from a money center bank? Um, but post-2008, with uh, a change and a needed change to the financial rules, then it's no longer about borrowed money, it's about um, capital. And so all of a sudden, it's not the, the money center bank guy who's worried about getting his money back that's important. It's the, it's the equity investor who wants to make a return on equity who's, who's driving the capital allocation. And so what Curve is doing, by using open access and by... Uh, listing products that clear at LCH. It is crashing together this OTC uh, world where people were trading swaps and this futures world where, pe- where people are trading in these walled garden, these these vertical silos that have transitioned from the uh, floors of exchanges onto, um, on, onto platforms, but really haven't moved forward. And so what we're trying to do is crash together OTC and listed and break down the silos between each of those buckets of listed derivatives. So why, if you want to trade uh, European risk, do you have to go do a bund in Germany? Why do you have to do a gilt in the UK? You know, the name of our company is Curve Global. I think you could guess about the, the <laughs> all across the curve and the incremental uh, products that we, we're thinking about in the future. Sure. So you told us about your background. 
what do you think it was from the folks at Curve that said, okay, you know what, we want this guy taking the reins. We think he's the right man to, to take over and run the show. Well, I, I think it was a, a beauty contest, and actually they decided that I was the uh, best. No, seriously. You know, it's smart that you did this on a podcast and you made that statement. Exactly. Definitely a face for radio. I will uh, I'll completely agree. So the what my skills brought was, was that kind of um, – I traded um, OTC products. I traded listed products. I'd run risk. But at the same time, I'd run an infrastructure business, which is a clearing business. And so actually, my skill set was somewhat unique, I suspect, in the market. Though there are other people who have that kind of CVA, trading, um, and uh, infrastructure, market structure, build set. And so I knew a lot of the clients. And, and ultimately, I guess I had a, a large passion for, for this being successful and what we were doing to make a difference. And make a difference for the market, make the market more efficient, make the market better for the participants in it. And that's fundamentally what drives me and makes me get up every morning and be excited about this opportunity mm -hmm. absolutely so you you mentioned it's in addition to lsc you also have bank of america merrill lynch barclays bmp parabas citibank goldman sachs jp morgan SockGen, and then the cboe all involved in this in this project that's correct now and this is more of a general question not specific to this but you know we see i know with specific to blockchain we see a lot of the consortiums but just in general you see these groups that's a lot of experience. That's a lot of that's a lot of folks that know what they're doing. But it's also how do you find as the CEO? How do you find the balance of not having the too many cooks in the kitchen problem, so to speak? Oh, I I think that um, that what we do is as part of the skill of my job is to do that. And so what you have, and so look at someone like CBOE, what they have in terms of their their penetration to the U.S. market, their understanding about U.S. clients, about their understanding of, of, of options and option-style products is invaluable when you want to do something um, that perhaps is not um, the same or that people are already doing. And so having wise counsel, whether that be in banks or at the exchanges, is of paramount importance um, to avoid missteps. And so if you think about it from a uh, perspective of product development through the lens of that for a second, what Curve has is product development working groups. We have one with buy side, we have one with market participants and so professional trading groups, and we have one with banks. And then ultimately we think about product development on not just um, what is the new product to build, it's how do we think about any changes to market structure that might want to exist. Um, and so if you think about those parameters, having those working groups is really important. And then actually what we have then is a board built of, of two exchanges with some of the brightest people in the world and um, a, a senior group of some of the best bankers in the world to help advise and, and decide. And so what we don't do is take the classic example of what a lot of exchanges have done traditionally, which is just build things in a lab and throw the spaghetti at the wall <laughs> and see what sticks. Right. So we, we kind of think we should be doing a bit of careful road testing, building products that people want, um, and then marketing and educating around the value of those products. So Curve's raison d'etre is to solve people's problems and listen to the market. And that listening to the market is the culture that we have within that business and that's really important and it's not listening to the board the board helps guide that but it, it's them who's setting the direction they're about listen to the market it's not just listen to me sure sure so the uh, the go live date uh for curve is september 26th 
Initially, it was uh, May of this year. I know back in March, the decision was made to push it to Q3. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what was the decision-making behind why uh, the delay for the initial launch. Look, so, to an extent, you're talking about things that predated my, my arrival. Sure. So what's first of all is important is we're, we're green to go live on, on September the 26th. We've got a significant number of market makers there, significant number of banks, significant number of GCMs, ISVs connected to allow um, people to come and trade. So in, in from a go-live status, we're green as green can be. And actually, part of the reason we're as green as green can be is we moved the date. And we moved the date um, a little bit because there were things internally that we were still testing, but mainly because actually the the street wasn't ready for us to go live and the connectivity from the isvs and the testing and such wasn't ready at that time so mm. we moved the go live to make sure that we have a successful launch there's no point in launching something and not having um having people there to be able to trade sure what since you've come aboard to now when like you said you, you're green across the board ready to go live what have been the biggest hurdles in getting curve up and going off uh, off the ground so i, I what what has been most exciting for me is that for instance we're having this conversation in new york and i've been here and i'm here a week i've literally got 40 meetings in the week it's like people want to see me I, i'm trying to run run myself ragged with half hour here and half hour there <laughs> there is a palpable sense of excitement about what we're doing and why that excitement that excitement is around what we're delivering, which is capital savings and open access and breaking down these historic barriers. And it really matters to people that we're providing them that, um, that, that problem solving, and particularly them being banks. But then if that just plays through as a good second order benefit to everybody in the market, and ultimately if banks are more apt to trade on a curve-based product because it saves them capital, it makes them more efficient because it nets into their OTC set for the margin rules, um, benefits for the daily netting benefits and for their capital benefits, then actually that's really interesting because perhaps the price is subtly different at, at curve to um, one of the other um, walled gardens. And, and, and as such, that's really exciting because if the price is different, we're off to the races. We've got a really good product. We've got a market because people are willing to express a view in economics, you know, we best we're the best bid or the best offer on that market, and that all of a sudden becomes really interesting for everybody associated with with it. And so that's the I guess the first um, the first thing that, that that's there. I think that we are um, the challenge to answer your question further is around execution. So. Building this is not the same as building any any new exchange. You know, the biggest risk I think we have is that people put this in a bucket called "Oh, it's building a new exchange," <laughs> and it's like um, we're not trying to create what everybody else has already done before. We're not trying to create our own little exchange into CCP and compete on pricing or compete on um, some functionality at the matching engine. We're not trying to do that. We're saying actually, right now, what we're doing saying there aren't things we want to do but right now what we're doing is we're saying we're giving access to this huge pile this colossal organization of OTC derivatives in 17 currencies and the things you can trade are risk fungible you've got margin offset by LCH on the, the short-end front-end products your eyeball and gilt stirs um, right now available and so and plans to do the long end and so that's real savings for people to really deliver now what other exchanges ever launched 
with 100 billion of initial margin in risk fungible products. It's just never been done before. So we're not trying to create a silo. We're actually trying to position ourselves and as um, the person who provides solutions to your immediate capital problems. And so the challenge to answer your question is, if you're perceived in a box called risk open silo, <laughs> uh, you know, risk build a vertical silo, mm -hmm. it becomes very hard for us, I think, to achieve what we're looking to do. And so to us, it's, it's important that people understand the narrative that if you've got a trade on curve, that trade can be risk closed out by doing an OTC derivative because the things are fungible and they reference the same reference rate. That is not... Um, so for people who trade both of those products, which are, are tangibly a number of the people we're instantly appealing to in this market because of the benefits we provide, that is, um, that's really exciting. And that is our biggest risk, the execution associated with getting live. Sure. So less than three weeks out now from, from the go live date. Now you said systems are all go. There's nothing left. You guys are, are, are ready to go green light for the 26th. Yeah. We have a full client dress rehearsal this weekend where, um, these people are all ready. Um, going to have people in in their um, in their sandals with socks. I think is the <laughs> stylish look of our IT group. I'm sorry if they're listening. Um, but no, the the quality of the team is 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 amazing, and the quality of the tech is amazing. And, and we're just running that. Um, you know, as the final thing. So really, as, as I say, we're everyone's conformance tested. Everybody's ready and and, and ready to take part in this pre-go live two weeks out sure before um, from our go live so that's phenomenally ready as far as i can see so now going forward once you do go live on the 26th what's the kind of time what's the timeline for cur for curve going on from there so what we need to do is that this business is funded out of five years and what we're, our assumption is is that we're not our assumption is that we are going to um slowly generate market uh, open interest and generate uh, a daily trading volume or ADV on the exchange. And that product and that investment is going to take time to do. And ultimately, uh, I'm not expecting it to go off like a rocket and suddenly be a large percentage of open interest. And so for me, that's about blocking, tackling, trade by trade and working that through. And so th that is our plan. Do you have any, can you talk to us any, maybe about specific benchmark goals you guys have, short-term or long-term? Uh, no. Okay, fair enough. Now, I know before we talked a little bit about uh, your passion for York football. Now, talk to me a little bit about that for Americans that maybe don't understand uh, where York sits in the rankings of English football. A little a primer, if you would. So this is York as opposed to New York. So it's the, the original, uh, and York is a, a small city in the, the north of England. And they um, were relegated from the uh, second division, which is the lowest tier of the football league, into um, so not even in the legal anymore. But we did win uh, last week. So um, I was born in York, and you can probably tell by my northern English accent. But uh, Yes, uh, so I'm a York City fan, but as a fellow Yorkshireman, um, as a Yorkshireman, I'm also a huge cricket fan, and so uh, um, uh, my uh, my passion is uh, York City and Yorkshire cricket. And uh, there's a chance that Yorkshire cricket might do a historic treble and will win the county championship three times in a row this uh, this next week. So that's uh, that would be as well as Curve going live. That would be a pretty exciting time. <laughs> do you see the comparison? I always hear, and I'd never understand it, as someone that's watched very little cricket but has a very small understanding of it. People try to say, oh, baseball, cricket, they're kind of similar, American baseball, that is. Do you see any comparisons between the two or no? Uh, 
uh, well, my, my American friends tell me that they can, I, I, and that it's, um, but, uh, that it's much harder. Um, but um, a good friend of mine and I um, uh, still have a bet that I can take his, uh, I used to play a lot of cricket, I can take his fastball and uh, knock it out of the park. So I'll, uh, I'll see how that goes next time uh, I'm with you, Dan, and uh, yeah, tell no, you I, if I've, uh, I've succeeded with that. I'd love, I'd love to hear that. I played, when I spent a little bit of time in England, I did play a little bit of cricket, and uh, I found it, it, it was quite tough. So um, I'd be interested to see how you'd fare against a, a fastball. That'd be, that'd be great stuff. But listen, we've we've taken up enough of your time, Andy. I, I appreciate you sitting down and chatting with me, especially before such the the big go live date. So thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Dan. All right, Dan DeFrancesco back here with Anthony Malakian, and like I said up top, we want to talk some non fintech stories. So first, uh, on Tuesday we attended BNP's. Uh, they had a media event as part of the U.S. Open. So we were able to attend and watch the Open. Special shout-out to Cheryl Lee. I know she's a listener, and she got us the uh, the invite there, so thanks for that. And uh, we got to watch some tennis. So it, we were there for the evening session at the Arthur Ashe Court, and uh, it started off with uh, uh, Wozniak defeating Sevastova, and then uh, Djokovic beating Sanga. Uh, it is great to listen to you struggle with names because anybody who knows Dan knows that he's never the best at pronouncing names, so he's really laboring hard. I mean, this. talk like, can't we get some Smiths or Jones or... The you women's know, side, you got the Williams. <laughs> yeah, the Williams, yeah. Couldn't have been there for the for the Williams sisters. Yeah. Instead, we got, you know, four of the toughest names. I'm sweating through my collar trying to pronunciate them. Yeah. But you guys know who these people are. Um but, you know, I mean, the, the big match was uh, the Joker versus Sanga. That was, you know, the, the, the finale. I think everyone kind of knew Wozniacki was going to kind of breeze through Sevastova. So that was the big one and a little bit of a letdown. You know, I think, I don't know about you, Anthony. I'll go first. I'm kind of definitely rooting for, uh, you know, the local. I'm going to root for the French guy because yeah. we're there with the French bank. So And he's the underdog. Yep. He's just the underdog. So... Uh, and I don't know something about Djokovic. I don't like his face. He, he just kind of annoys me. A lot me. of people. He rubs a lot of people the wrong way. So it seemed like there was a little bit of promise there at first, but then you could kind of see something was wrong with Sanga's leg. He was kind of limping a little bit, and uh, you know ended up having to call it quits after the uh, the second after dropping the uh, second set. Which someone pointed out to me, which is very true. You never see anyone quit when they're up. Yeah. You, yeah if he was up to nothing, I doubt that uh, he's uh, retiring. In that. Somehow they can battle through the injuries. But, uh, I mean, that was my first time at, at the U.S. Open. That was my first time at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Very impressive. With the, with the, it was an interesting feel with the, with the ceiling closed because the weather wasn't that great. Anthony, what were your takeaways from the night? Well, for me, first of all, tennis is hands down the worst event to watch when you've been drinking. So, you know, I had some drinks beforehand. <laughs> Um, having some Heinekens, uh, and you know you just got to sit there in silence. Basically, the U.S. Open very you're frustrating. Allowed to, yeah, you're very allowed to talk a little bit more. I remember one time went and watched like this exhibition match at MSG, and it was the uh, McEnroe brothers playing the Bryans um, as like some charity event. I can't remember what it was, and like we, I was like six rows back. You know, really nice seats, everything like that. And just had to sit there in silence because you couldn't talk. Like, you know, there's no talking allowed, especially in, like, the MSU one. No me, fun zone. Me and my buddies were just like, you know what? This isn't worth it. We just left and went to the bar, uh, Tiernanag, across the street. <laughs> um, so with this, you know, it, it, tennis is frustrating that way. 
Um, and even when the crowd tries to get into it, like they do the clap, clap, clap yeah. before the surf. Then like, and Djokovic did this a couple times. He puts on like a pout and he kind of like looks up at the crowd. And then the, the little guy that's in the seat that has the awning covering the sun, when it's a night game and there's no sun at all, don't know why he has it. He goes, oh, please show good sportsmanship. Show good sports. So yeah. stuffy. And it kind of, you know, I just want somebody to sh- go streaking, get a little crazy, a little, little bit of a, you know, more color to the environment. Yeah, I it'd be great if there's people are cheering throughout. It's kind of like, uh, you know, like the darts world championships in, you know, Europe. You know, they have that massive concentration. They can do it, you know, if uh, people screaming about um, so I was rooting for Joe. I've been to Serbia a bunch. I have a friend that uh, worked in the State Department there, and I love going to Belgrade. Like it's if you if you know somebody that lives there, it's a great place to go. Uh, a lot of fun things to do. But my favorite part, I think, of the tennis was uh, trying to convince uh, the people sitting next to me to because I know a bunch of Serbian swear words. I know a ridiculous amount of Serbian swear words. <laughs> so trying to convince them to chant things out that are inappropriate but that no one uh, understood except for the few serbs that were sitting around me that would turn back and smile every now and again uh but other than that yeah the match was good uh it was a, it was a really competitive match even for two nothing and you like that is the cool score thing about did not there. indicate score did not indicate yeah. how competitive that yeah. match i mean Djokovic was just incredible with uh his you know you just you think you have a perfect return and he gets it back to you and uh so yeah it was it was a fun event but you know um for me i think the most Interesting part. So beforehand, we're talking with someone. I'm, I'm not going to mention the person's name, but you know, as, you know, we're just kind of just you know bullshitting throughout. You know, before before the uh, main event started, and uh, we're talking about gifts to get for my girlfriend because I'm terrible at getting gifts. I don't know about you. Never been very good at it. Got her a pool cue once because she's being in the pool, but that's about the high point that I'll ever probably I'm, I'm have. I'm awesome at giving gifts. Also, shout out to my girlfriend, Samantha, whose birthday it is on uh, September 7th. So, Happy uh, birthday, Samantha, of course. But uh, so we're talking about best gifts, and it's, this girl had great ideas, um, but then she also, she never received a good gift, which was just, it was, I felt so bad for her. Uh, I was like, man, it was, made me want to run out and go and buy her like a Mercedes <laughs> and be like, here. Here, you got one good gift of your life here. Uh, but she had a great idea for a gift. I'm going to say this out loud because I know that uh, Alice isn't listening. So that I <laughs> know. she does not care about She does not care about fintech. professional life. Um, so great idea, though, for you folks out there. Uh, you take, you figure out a place to go travel to. And then you write down the latitude and longitude on a sweet little note. Hand that to them. Let them figure out the puzzle of where you're going to be going. That's now, that's romance right now, there, if you ask me, brother. Let's also provide a little context. It wasn't like Anthony pulled this completely out of thin air. I gave first of all that girl the, gave that idea, but it was not yes, out of thin yes, air. It I was all yes. based. So the re- the reason why this whole conversation started was Anthony was looking for some gifts to for uh for his girlfriend. Like, what would be a good gift idea? And I, again, like any good journalist, plagiarized from someone else. Except if you say hat tip now, it's not plagiarism anymore. That's yeah. uh, it's amazing how our industry has changed. If you just <laughs> drop that little HT at the bottom, it doesn't matter. But um, so I told Anthony what a good idea would be is you get her a necklace, and on the back of the necklace you have the latitude and longitude of where your first date was. I'll it would pause. have to be the I'll first pause thing. a little, yeah. let that sink in yeah. for all the romantics, full romantics out there. Now I stole the idea from my girlfriend, who as a gift to my mother when we went on for her birthday. Got her a uh, a necklace that had the latitude and longitude of uh, the beach house that we go to every summer, and that she was invited to this year. See, now everybody's giving away the latitude. And long- you know, now you know, now it's a bad idea because everybody's now giving this away here. 
I just think it's I think it's a sweet, and I think what happens is they look at it and they'll be confused at first, and then you say that is you know I mean for where you met Alice the first time I, I don't know where so where I met Alice the first time was at a bar called Our Bar we were shooting pool and she comes in and or no it was actually at Boulevard Tavern sorry it wasn't at Our Bar it was Boulevard Tavern. And I was wasted. I do not remember meeting Alice for the first time. She. Uh, this is how. This is, yeah. this is a love true story. I beat story. her. She says I beat her. I think it was three games. So I played her three separate times in pool. Beat her all three times because that's the kind of uh, gentleman you gentleman are. Gentleman I am. Uh, I never let anybody win. That's a nice hey, thing e- about equality, me. Equality, regardless. Exactly. Doesn't matter gender, doesn't matter anything. You're yeah. going to give your best effort no matter what. So, yeah, I don't know that I want to put down Boulevard Taverns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair point, fair point, fair point. But this brings me to another question. So, what is the best gift you've ever received? Best gift I've ever received? Well, thank uh, God. Um, hmm. I, do you want me to go? You go first. Okay. Best gift I ever received, fourth grade. N64, the combo pack that also came with Mario Kart, mm-hmm. I was so freaking excited. And it was one of those things, my parents didn't really pull any punches. I knew there wasn't such a thing as Santa Claus by the time I was in kindergarten. And they were just like, whatever, the cat's out of the bag. If you're watch, if you're listening with your kids right now, then... Uh... <laughs> if you're listening with your kids, then you should have them taken away for forcing them to listen to FinTech podcasts. But, uh, so I... I my parents very much were like, what do you want? And any big gift, they weren't going to risk it. They were like, just what do you want? So I said, I want an N64. So we went to Toys R Us, and we got it. We, If you remember Toys R Us back in the day, they used to have the game system set up behind display, and you'd take a ticket. And then you'd bring the ticket to the person at like the special desk, and they'd unlock this box, and they'd have the, the N64 for you. So I got it, and of course, you know, this is in November. So my parents weren't going to let me play the video games until Christmas. But what they did do is they gave me the strategy guide, because it came for free with like a strategy guide. Yeah, I remember when... So- strategy guides were like where they used to be the big thing yeah yeah, yeah, because there was no internet so i read that thing front to back back to front every single day i'd bring it to school with me people like why are you reading a strategy guide oh i don't even i just want to be ready so i know every single cheat i know every single shortcut i know and i'm not talking about the easy ones like on koopa troopa beach where there's that little tunnel behind the the waterfall i'm talking about in a warrior stadium where if you go up over the hills and anybody that's listening knows what i'm talking about when you go up the hills and then you go and bounce over and you flip over and you're ahead of everybody or when you hit the the um the uh, lightning bolt when they go over the big jump and then they drop. I'm really alienating our audience right now <laughs> to big fans of a game that came out 20 years ago. But that was the best gift I ever got. N64, fourth grade, incredible. I guess uh, the best gift I ever got, it was, I don't know if it counts, but it's more of a hand-me-down kind of a thing. But um, my dad, when he moved down to Raleigh, North Carolina, in my family, we always had a pool table in the house. Um, and he was given, uh, when he married my mom... Uh, uh, it's going to be 50 years next year. Um, so when he married him, his, uh, my grandfather's father-in-law gave him custom-made pool cues, um, these beautiful, beautiful pool cues. Now, when we were younger, my brother broke one of the pool cues, and boy, did he take a beating for that one. <laughs> um, but then the other one, uh, since I have a pool table at my house and I play pool all the time, uh, he recently uh, handed that off to me. He's like, I'm not, you know, there's nowhere. I'm not going to bring this to a pool hall. So here you go. So I would say that that's probably the best gift I ever had. That's okay. my prized possession right there. All right. But, you know, you cast in a lot of stones for living in a glass house. It took you a little bit to figure out what was your best gift you ever received. It is funny, too, because we were talking about last night. And then they, somebody asked me, I go, I go uh, Last uh, night, two, uh, two nights ago, Tony. Two, yeah, two nights ago, yeah, sorry. 
And uh, I couldn't think of anything, but fortunately I was saved by a bell because then we had to go out to the uh, tennis event. So. Yeah, casting a lot of stones, like I said, for living in a glass house. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, I know we catch a lot of heat for talking a lot of sports, but you know what? We're sports guys. We like sports, so we're going to talk about things you like. And this Thursday, today... And is we were giving life advice right there. And we were giving and life gift advice. advice. That wasn't necessarily sports. I think we've done our that non-sports very talk. little sports, yeah. actually. But I think we got to talk about the NFL. <clears throat> Whether you like football or not, it is part of the social... Just in it's it's everything. Whether or not, if you even if you hate football, uh, even if you hate football and sports, it's still it goes beyond everything else. It's part of it's part of pop culture. So we're going to talk about the NFL. So deal with it. So if you don't want it, turn off the podcast now. I don't care. I want to talk about the NFL. Starts Thursday. The rematch of the Super Bowl, Carolina at Denver. A very different Denver looking team without Peyton Manning. Um, Tony, what are you, what are your thoughts on the start of the NFL season? Back Thursday, we can go in a lot of different directions. Well, for me. You know, I haven't really paid it. To, honestly, I've been. I'm still in baseball mode right now. Like I, I this NFL season has truly snuck up on me. I don't know who's on the. I'm a Patriots fan. I have no idea who's on the team. Like I know Brady's not playing the first four games. Like this is a team. Like I follow. I watch every single game. I've watched every single game for the past ten years or so. Um, and I read about them and stuff like that. I've been so locked into baseball and the Houston Astros that I just I haven't gotten into to football yet. It doesn't feel like football yet, you know. Um, so for me, I'm not as gung ho about the start of the season. I'm sure when Saturday or Sunday rolls around, you know, one o'clock, you know, we're going to go to a local dive sports bar uh, in Brooklyn uh, called the Call Box. Uh, this really, really, really dive of a of a bar. Um, but it's funny. Actually, I have some very funny stories there, but that are not appropriate for this podcast. So I would say <laughs> uh, I have no doubt that the Patriots will be, you know, even if they go one and three in the first four, that they'll be just fine um, and that they'll be right there for contending for the Super Bowl. So uh, after that, you know, the Jets are going to be you know, usual Jets and, uh, you know, the, the rest of that AFC East division is just terrible. So it'll be easy for us to win the division yet again. I will say, before I address the bold, false accusations regarding my Jets, I will say that uh, it is true that it feels a little bit weird when it's still nice out, you know, and it's one thing in San Diego when they're wearing tank tops in the game because that's how it is year-round. But, like, when you're at Lambeau Field and guys are wearing shorts walking up to the stadium, it does feel a little bit weird. You like to see the breath. You like to see it get a little cold. The, the ground gets a little hard. It, it's weird when we're just coming off going to the beach and now we're watching football. But it's great. I love it. I love the football's back. It's my favorite sport. I watch it all day. The Red Zone channel is the greatest channel ever invented. I yes. love it. Uh, to your point about my Jets, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I've said this the whole year. We have a ton of guys that could fall apart any second. Our quarterback, our best two wide receivers, our running back, all could suffer career-ending injuries as guys that are over 30. But I'm still confident we have the best-looking player in the division. Yes, I said it. Eric Decker is better-looking than Tom Brady. Um, these are just facts, people. All right? And uh, I- I'm excited. I think it should be a really good year. I think that there's a lot of just overall in the entire NFL, there's a lot of young, exciting teams. I think the Jags, I mean, a lot of people are talking about but I think they're interesting. I think the same goes for the uh, – the Oakland Raiders, you know, Derek Carr, is he going to turn the corner with Amari Cooper? Um, and then you kind of have the old stead that's kind of like, it's, there's a real passing of the guard. You have guys like 
Ben Roethlisberger that are getting a little bit older. Drew Brees, who's very old. Tom Brady. Phil Rivers. So yeah. Philip Rivers. These guys, Eli Manning, these guys that have been stalwart names that are kind of moving on. And then you have the, the younger generation coming up. So I think it's an exciting time for the NFL. It's just great. Man, football is always great. Even when it's – it's like pizza. Even when it's bad, it's How many – what's uh, the Jets record going to be? Jets have the hardest opening – season record uh, schedule that I've ever seen. If you look at, they could possibly go like, oh, and seven to start the season. <laughs> and that sounds, so you're, so you're, you went from cautiously optimistic. Well, to if you look at who seven. they play, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but if you look at who they play, it's, it's insane who they open up with. I know they play Seattle. They play Cincinnati. Yeah, I got, I got, I got, I got, it's, it, tough, it's crazy. Tough. So what do you got? Uh, what do I say? I think that, um, you know, I think they went 10 and six last year. I think, there's no reason why they couldn't go ten and six again. There's no reason why they couldn't go ten and six and not make the playoffs again and crush my heart. Um, I'm gonna say seven and nine for you guys. Seven and nine. Seven and nine. What we'll have to do is last season, Anthony and I uh, picked teams. Very drunk at a bar. We were waiting for oh, a here flight. Come the excuses. Yeah, we were here waiting come for a the flight. Excuses. Yeah, I, to bring it full circle, it was actually after the Chicago event. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's we bring right. it all yeah. back. We bring it all back together here at the Watch Podcast. But we picked teams, and uh, and I won, and I beat Tony. But that's true. We could do it again this year, maybe. Um, and uh, and yeah, so I, I'm cautiously optimistic about the Jets, but I really keep my fingers crossed that it's just going to all fall fall apart for the Pats. So we'll see. You know, hopefully Tom Brady just it's got to happen eventually. It does have to happen eventually. You'd think It'd stand to reason, unless. Tom Brady's on steroids. Oh, who said that? I hope who he's on that? steroids. <laughs> kidding me? That'd be great. I want him to play until he's 50. Oh, the media back. The media storm that would come. The shit storm that would come down on Tom Brady if he was caught with steroids would oh, be. considering that the stupid deflate game thing. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's that's what I'm saying. Because of this, what that went down. But whatever. We digress. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, Anthony. You have anything else to add? That's all I got. All right. And we'll be back next week. 